This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 31. This episode is about sex. So I reached out to Amy Lang from birdsandbeesandkids.com. She is a sex education expert. She's been working with parents, with families, with kids, with teachers, with caregivers on how to talk about sex, how to prepare your tiny humans to know how to use the tools they've got to understand their anatomy, to have a foundation, to be able to have an open conversation with you about what's going on with their body. This was requested from a listener and honestly, like, I learned so much and I didn't think about it before going in, but it really ties into the conversation about consent and how to prepare our kids in a way that lays the groundwork for them to be able to talk to us about anything and everything that might come their way. Uh, Creating an open dialogue with our tiny humans is amazing and we need to know how to do it. And she gave a lot of these tools to us. She's also hilarious. Uh, There are obviously a lot of opportunities for innuendos here and she capitalizes on them. And I appreciated it. If you're an office fan, there were a lot of that's what she said happening over here. Don't worry, we spared you them in the episode. Amy also has courses and resources available for you on her website. And We have linked to those in the blog post. I encourage you to head to the blog post and check them out. She's pretty phenomenal and built quite a list. You guys, have you joined the Facebook group yet? I am so jazzed about this space. It's so cool to have a space where you can pop in and ask your parenting questions. And we're going to make sure that the responses that you get are helping to pull you out of the trenches and not just meeting you there. We're all here to support you in raising emotionally intelligent, tiny humans. And now we have that space where we all get together and 
you get access to me and to my team and to the village of experts who are joining us in this fight to raise emotionally intelligent humans. So if you haven't joined that group yet and you're trying to raise emotionally intelligent humans, hit pause, go join that group. What are you waiting for? We're all here on this wild ride together, but only if you join in. If you sit on the sidelines and say, yeah, I want to raise emotionally intelligent humans, but I'm not going to do the work. Guess what, guys? It doesn't just happen. Emotional intelligence is something we have to teach, and we're guiding you through how, and that's in the everyday life of parenting and interacting with these littles. So head on over to that group so you have access to this community. Go do it now. Do it now. All right, let's get back to the sex talk. Welcome to Voices of Your Village a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today, I am here with Amy Lang from Birds and Bees and Kids. Hi, Amy. Hey. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be chatting with you. I love talking about sex. (laughs) I am jazzed to be chatting with you, too. I also love talking about sex, and I just think it's so important for us to be able to get cozy with. No pun intended there, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's lots of pun opportunities, as you will see. Yeah, this will be fun. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what brought you here? Yeah, totally. So I was a sexuality educator for over 16 years, and I worked in for Planned Parenthood and a, some other organizations, mostly as a volunteer. And I had assumed that when I became a parent, because I love sexual health, and I've you know, talked to pretty much anyone you can think of about sexuality, that I was going to be a rock star sex talker when I became a parent. And as uh, you can probably imagine, um, I was not. I had my son Milo and I think he was like five or something and he asked me a question and I was like, what the help? Like, I don't want to say to you, you are five or four and no, thank you. No, thank you. Why can't you be 14 and pregnant that I can handle? Right. And so I was like, "Uh Oh, this is not good. Like sexual health had been a part of my life for a really long time. And I was super well-versed in talking to adults and teenagers and I realized that I had no skills for talking to a kid. And so I started doing some research and I couldn't find anything that was like, that like resonated with me in terms of um, like my values and also like making this easy. And uh, there there were some really great books that were like 14 inches thick and um, books I still adore. And also I was like, okay, what parent has time for this? Like, I don't have time for this. So I thought, hey, you love talking about sex. I also have a background of a master's in adult education. And I was like, Hey, I know what I'll start a company and I'll help parents talk to kids about sex. And so I did. And that was in 2000. 
uh, five or six. I can never remember. And so my son was about five and he's now 17. And so I have been helping parents, primarily parents of kiddos age like four-ish to 12-ish. Um, so I really focus in that preschool, pre-preschool elementary age um, because uh, I think that it is, and research is showing that it is really important that we get the party started way sooner than we ever, ever imagined. So that's what brings me to you. Awesome. Yeah, I am jazzed to be chatting with you because I think that everything that I like looked up and found out about you, you really get the like child development aspect and kind of like when it's appropriate to say what. And that, so I put this poll out to all my followers and asked for questions. And that question came back a million times, like how to know what is age appropriate and when to say what and kind of how in depth to go at different ages and stages. So can we dive into there first? Yeah, totally. Cool. So for me, like I want to look at like starting with toddlerhood perhaps. So my background is infant toddler preschool and we have our followers are some are not yet parents, some are pregnant now, and others have kids kind of ranging in age. So, but a lot are um, birth to five. So Great. let's dive in to what that looks like in like toddlerhood yeah. and beyond. Totally. So, okay. So I am like, all right, I got this five-year-old. He's asking me questions. I don't know what to say. And I was like, all right, I got to figure out like, how do we do this? And so one of the things I did was I was like, okay, calm down. Like your mom, like you've got a brain, like, what do you want to know? And that was the first thing I wanted to know was like, how old should our kids be when we tell them the usual way a baby is made is that the penis goes in the vagina, sperm egg, yada, yada. And so I was like, all right, I can figure this out. And then I thought, well, hey, who's got the lowest teen pregnancy rate in the developed world? Because they're probably doing something right. And it turns out it's the Netherlands and they are rock stars when it comes to this conversation. So just a general rule of thumb, if you want your kid to end up having a really healthy, great sex life and feel great about who they are sexually, um, you need to pretend like you are the Netherlands at your house. So they... um, they start sex, sex education as young, as in kindergarten. And so it's really, really young. So they're um, four, five, three, four, five-year-olds know all about how babies are made. And for uh, Americans and Canadians and folks in this neck of the woods, that sounds like insanely young. And so um, we need to just take a breath and take a moment and if you think if you think about like what is four or five year old life like and what are four and five year olds like, uh, it actually makes us it makes sense because developmentally they're just learning all the time and they're non judgmental and they're super open and you know they come to the party with usually hopefully with no information about this stuff. And so they're, they don't know there's anything yucky, bad, embarrassing, or shameful about it. They don't know there's anything like grown up about sex or baby making. And so uh, we do. So when, we say, when I say, hey, I talked to your five-year-old about sex, everything you know about sex pops up into your head. I mean, you think about the first time you had sex, the last time you had sex, how you're not having enough sex, how you're having too much sex insert laugh track, um, you know, like all that stuff, right? Like you think about the good stuff, the bad stuff, like everything, you know, and so you're looking at your little kid and you're like, Oh, hello. 
there's no way. And the reality is that we need to like, just take a breath, take a pause and think about, okay, what's happening in five year, for five-year-olds. So they just need to know kind of the sciencey stuff, right? They need some values around this. They need to know that it's not for kids. It's for later in life. And I, my belief is that the time to start is definitely by kindergarten. If I had my perfect world, kids would go into kindergarten already knowing how babies are made. You know, five, six years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have said that, but because of the way the internet has entered our children's lives and how kids communicate with each other and how parents are not um, taking care of their children online, they're getting way more information way sooner. And so it's safer for your child to know from an early age. And when you tell your little kid, you know, your five-year-old, your four-year-old, hey, the usual way baby's made is the penis goes in the vagina, the bodies get really close together, there's a tiny sperm and a tiny egg, the hookup, you know, 10 months later, out comes a baby. Really, not out comes the baby, as we know, we've birthed anything. The baby is pushed out of the mom's body, you know, um, and the kids love it. It's science to them. It's science. And they think it's really interesting. And, you know, I'm a super fan of books. Like, this is not a conversation. I think we, we should, I mean, you can wing it, but it's better with a book. Uh, because your attention is not on, not on you, right? Your five-year-old is not going to notice your sweaty upper lip and your two glasses of wine, but your 10-year-old is certainly going to notice all of that, right? Like, so when you start the conversation sooner rather than later, they just are like, okay, here we go. And they like, like, you're like, you're like, Hey, this is how ice cream's made. This is how babies are made. It feels the same to them. They have the same weight. And, um, we're the ones that have, we're the ones that know more. So um, I can tell you have some questions. So what, what's, what, what are you yeah. thinking? Yeah. So, well, one thing that that brought up for me was the idea of like, okay, so when we're talking to kids about sex, especially when they're younger, it sounds like we're talking to them about sex as a, like a route to making a baby, right? Like that's what sex right. becomes or is. So one of the questions that I got was how to talk about, how to talk to toddlers about body parts, like accuracy versus easy to explain. Like this mom had said she had told her daughter that pee comes out of her vagina. And then she's like, but like, (laughs) it doesn't really. But if her vagina isn't for peeing at this age, like what developmentally appropriate use does it have for a two-year-old? And do I go into the urethra and all that jazz? And then what does the vagina become in terms of what it's meant for, for a two-year-old. Right. Right. So with a two-year-old, frankly, they can't really grasp, grasp tons. So, um, a couple things. So first of all, that area down there, that's not the vagina. It's just part of the scene. Yeah. It's just part of the scene. Um, that whole area, the technical term is the vulva, which means covering in Latin. Um, and you can tell your two-year-old, well, there are some holes down there. And you can just say really simply, there's one hole, tiny hole where your pee comes out. There's a hole where your poop comes out. And then there's another hole in a girl's body where someday when she's ready and she's grown up, uh, if she decides to have a baby, the baby can come out of that hole. That's called the vagina. Boom. And then done. Like that's enough. 
And if, you know, she's in the why, why, why stage, you can say, that's just the way your body's made. And literally then say, and look at the shiny thing and redirect her because at two, even though kids are asking questions at two and three, and they do that whole obnoxious why thing, they're just basically messing with you. <laughs> um, they don't, you do not, one of my best pieces of parenting advice was a friend of mine whose daughter was three. I was probably 21 or 22 and the child is why, why, whying me. And she looked at me and she said, Amy, you don't have to answer every question. You don't have to answer every why. And I'm like, oh, praise Jesus. And so <laughs> that's a choice. <laughs> that's a choice. So you can just say, yeah, that's the way it is. And point it like, look at the dog over there or whatever. Um, so with the sexuality stuff, especially, and this is actually self-preserving for you. Like as you're wading in, keeping things super simple with your littles is really important because you get used to saying like, most of us didn't grow up saying vulva and vagina and urethra and anus and you know, that kind of stuff. We didn't, we didn't use those words. Um, and maybe you lucked out and you did. Uh, so like your two-year-old's super forgiving. So she's not going to remember that you said it was the pee comes out of the vagina, right? She's just not. Um, and you can correct. And now that you've corrected, then you can use the correct terms. And you can also say to her, that whole part of area of your body is called the vulva. Uh, it's what you can see, right? You cannot see a vagina without a certain amount of work. Um, <laughs> and then by the time she's four or five, she definitely needs to know about the clitoris because there's another thing down there, right? That feels good yeah. when you touch it. Um, but just for this, where's the pee come out question? Straight up, there's a little hole down there. It's called the urethra. Boom. Well, that brings me to my next question. Yes. <laughs> um, the next question that I received was like, what to do when kids are exploring their bodies and doing things like touching their clitoris or their penis, if they're doing it in private, which is, you know, where, you know, we yes. might have pushed them to already do it. And then they're doing it. Like, how do you react or respond? Do you say it's in the bath, say it's during like a bedtime routine or it's in bed, do you say anything? Do you stay silent? So couple tactics, first of all, yay, they're doing it in private. Um, that's the first message kids should get about, um, and at this age, under five, six, seven, uh, under like nine-ish, I call it self-stimulation or self-pleasuring um, instead of masturbation. Masturbation to me is a really grown-up-y word and implies um, uh some sexual, like a more adult-like sexual thought about another person. So there might be some fantasy going on. So it's more grown up -y. So with little kids, I say self-pleasure, self-stimulation. Um, so the first thing is that everybody needs to know that it is totally common, totally healthy. And I personally am a total two thumbs up person when, when it comes to kids discovering and exploring their own bodies in this um, kind of quasi-sexual way. So um, you need to make sure that your kids know if they are exploring their bodies, they are touching their penis or their clitoris in public. They're doing it just because it feels good. They're not doing it because they're thinking about, I don't know who, Beyonce, Brad Pitt, John Stamos. Like, I, no one thinks about Brad Pitt. Sorry about that, folks. Maybe somebody does. You know, for girls in particular, I am always like, yay, you found your clitoris. Hallelujah. Like, enjoy that, baby. Um, so with kiddos that are already doing it, one thing that a parent could say is, so first of all, if they are self-stimulating, absolutely, you need to say, oh, I see you're touching your privates. That's totally great. But that is definitely something for you to do in private when you're alone. So I'm just going to step out. Like you don't want to hang around where they're doing it. 
And just, um, I'll just a little, like maybe a little side conversation, like in the car and say, Hey, I know that sometimes you touch your privates before you fall asleep at night or at nap time. Um, just want to let you know that's totally healthy and totally normal to do. And just a couple things, you know, only you are allowed to touch your privates, um, in that special way. It's also something that people do when they're alone. It's not something you do with other, other people. So just, those are the rules. And let's go get a milkshake, like (laughs) just a little like casual commentary about it. Um, And that piece around, it's something people do in private when they're alone. It's, you know, you don't share those private parts of your body with anybody else. Um, And then just a little piece around like, and if you ever do, you just, you can let me know you won't be in trouble. This is one of those conversations that you might want to practice before you have it. Mm. And I'm a super fan of scripts. I'm working on a book of scripts. I'm a super fan of practicing because it helps you feel more comfortable. And your kids at this age just aren't going to notice that you're scripted. The 12-year-old will be like, what? Did you just read that off a freaking index card or something, Nutter? Like they notice way more than your five-year-old because they're just in a different state of mind. And of course, they're also getting all wired up to find every single thing we do annoying when they're, you know, in, when they're, you know, adolescents and that kind yeah, of right. stuff. Yeah, right. Just ready for it. Yeah. Um, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out. And it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So I guess in that same kind of topic, nudity, Yeah. one of the questions that I got that I was like, oh, this is interesting. It, 
this woman has a daughter and she doesn't want to create shame, but also the woman doesn't feel like it's safe for her daughter to be changing in public or running around without a shirt on. And so she was like, do I step in? How do I explain that? Should I? And I think in an ideal world, like, yeah, it would be safe for girls and women to walk around topless if they wanted to, but maybe that's not the reality we live in. Well, honestly, it kind of is the reality we live in. It is safe for girls, not women necessarily, to be uh, to be shirt free. That's our lovely puritanical um, culture showing up, you know, in the Netherlands, where and where they are way better at this than we are. Kids are topless, girls are topless, you know, for as long as they feel comfortable, and nobody thinks twice about it. So it really is a family values choice. And we also live in this culture where everyone's a judgy judgerson. And so if your kid who's over the age of four or five, your gal is topless because she's playing in the backyard and she's getting hot and sweaty and she just takes her shirt off or she's at the park or she's at the beach and she's shirtless, people are going to like kind of maybe raise an eyebrow. But the problem really isn't with your daughter or you or your parenting. It's really with those other people who are sexualizing that five-year-old, like last I checked, five-year-olds generally don't have boobs. And so it's a really a family choice. So which, which that means is this. So first of all, family nudity is totally a personal choice. It is totally 100% fine to be naked in front of your children. And it's time, it's fine for your kids to be naked in front of you. And it's also totally fine for you to not be naked in front of your kids and for you to have some rules about when it's okay to be naked. The reality is that, um, like, you know, there's studies that show, you know, all kinds of, like, it's terrible to be naked in front of your kids and it's terrible to keep your clothes on in front of your kids. The The reality is obviously someplace in the middle. So really, at the end of the day, it's your family, it's your choice. So uh, your daughter changing her clothes in public places, if she's under the age of five or so, it's fine. Because when we tell kids that, this is my personal belief, that when we tell kids and girls in particular, oh no, so no one should see your body, they're going to, we're going to, we cannot help it, but we give them a sense of shame about their bodies. We tell them there's something wrong with their bodies and that, and we are not actually we're kind of protecting them, but in a kind of a back-ass words way. A better way to talk about that is to say, hey, people are really weird about seeing kids naked. Um, so when you're changing your clothes in public, you know, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. So, you know, you need to do it in the stall or whatever. Like explaining other people's perspective yeah, to them. Yeah. Yeah, like saying people are weird or uncomfortable about this. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I know it's crazy pants, but you know, so here here's the rule when you're changing your clothes in public, you know, you want to be in more of a private space. Um, if you don't want your child, your daughter with her shirt off at the beach, same thing. People are weird, you know. Yeah. Um, that's one thing to say. You're also you can also say you're old enough now to know that people feel uncomfortable when they see a kid, a girl with their shirt off, and she'll say why, and you can say sexism. <laughs> right. I mean, you can say, I don't know. It's just the way it is. You know, um, it's wrong. I don't think it's right, but we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. So put your, put your clothes on. And if this is your value, which as you can hear from my attitude, it is so not my value. I actually can barely speak to it. Like, um, mm-hmm. so you got to figure out a, um, reason for keeping clothes on that is not going to shame your child. That's the most important thing. 
and your attitude about it too. Like just being pretty calm about it. It's like, Oh, that's just a rule in our family. Every family's different. That's fine. But uh, one of the things, if you are a naked family, check in with your kids when they get to be about eight, nine, 10. And if if you've been naked in front of your kids and just ask, like, say, are you comfortable with me being naked in front of you and watch their body language more than their, uh, words because when I asked Milo about that he was like 10 and he completely like ducked his head and turned away from me and said it's fine and I'm like okay your body language is telling me that it's not fine with you (laughs) that I'm naked in front of you so I pretty much keep my clothes on um but I frankly can't be bothered but mostly (laughs) I do um I mean I really do I'm not running around the house naked when he's around anymore so really want to think about um your family values around nudity how you were raised but I will tell you this kids who grow up in families with family nudity who see adult naked bodies who see a real 50-year-old woman's body a 30-year-old woman's body a 25-year-old woman's body and they see the stretch marks and they see the boob one's bigger than the other and they see the warts and the lumps and the bumps and the cellulite and all that those kids actually have a healthier sense of their themselves, a healthier sense of sexuality. They feel better about who they are as their bodies grow and change um, because they've seen the real deal. These days, kids are going to be exposed to pornography. They're going to see these women with these gigantic, these perfect bodies and all kinds of crazy ass shit. So just want to kind of be aware of that. And um, the other thing too is, I mean, Really, if you're like done being naked in front of your kids, you can just say, you're old enough now. We're going to get changed on our own, right? Pretty simple. They like that. Makes them feel like all smarty pants. Oh, I'm old enough now to put my clothes on in my own room and to not be grabbing my mother's breasts anymore. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, no, I think it's helpful. I had an Austrian woman reach out and um, with questions about this and said that, well, she shared her opinion first that she, and it was about nudity and she said that she shared that for the most part at like beaches or whatever there that most of the women and girls and kids are topless and that essentially like wearing a top at any age at any point is a choice regardless of your gender yeah and that her opinion was that it when we put tops on girls that we are sexualizing them Um, Mm -hmm. when we're doing that as young as even infancy, where we have like tiny human bikinis, yeah, we are sexualizing these bodies from the get go. And I think I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, I tend to agree with that. So families need to like parents, y'all need to figure out what makes sense to you. Do a little research, right? And calm down. (laughs) Um, so one last thing about this is that a really good rule is that naked time is family time. So after the age of four or five or so, when friends are over to play, clothes stay on. Like you can decide like, you know, everybody has to keep their underpants on all the way to your clothes just stay on unless you're playing dress up and then you need to keep, you know, keep your underpants on or whatever because it just lessens the opportunity for kids to play, uh, play doctor and explore each other's bodies, which can lead to trouble even though it's a really natural and healthy behavior, but you know, we kind of want to like minimize that. Well, and I want to just speak to the like unsafe question for a minute. I, I think there's this idea that if you are naked or topless or whatever in public that you, uh, I assumed when I read this, that the parent was saying that she was worried that her, something could happen to her daughter, that her 
daughter could be sexually assaulted or could something could happen along those lines if she was topless. That's what I read into that. And I mean, statistically speaking, that's just not the case. Most sexual assault happens from somebody we know and most rapes happen in our own homes. So I, I think just like being mindful of what that is realistically in terms of I guess like I, my concern isn't a naked person in public being assaulted by a random stranger. I think it's more commonly someone that we know in in entirely different circumstances. Like 90, 90, 95% of the time, the person that's going to molest or assault your child is someone that's known to them. So you don't need to be afraid of strangers, like stranger dangers, BS. We have lower stranger abduction, molestation, et cetera, than we ever have in the history of ever. Um, which is to me, that statistic is way more terrifying, right? Like it's someone, you know, and if you think about everyone, you know, that was sexually abused or sexually assaulted, it was always someone they knew yeah. like pretty much. So in terms of our kids and this misunderstanding, you know, it drives me crazy when I'm in the grocery store and I say hi to a kid and they look at me like I'm insane because their parents have said, don't talk to strangers. Um, strangers are actually a source of help you know, I mean, most strangers are not going to hurt your child. And if your child's lost, they're going to have to talk to a stranger in order to get help. And if you said, don't talk to a stranger, what's your kid going to do? They're not going to have any skills in terms of helping themselves. Um, So there are a couple books that I really, really love kind of on this topic. One is called It's My Body, and you can find it at my website in my bookstore. It's birdsandbeesandkids.com. It's this little red book. It was written in 1982. It shrieks 1982. So bear in mind, this is not for your entertainment. It's for your child's education. Um, It's really great. It's not creepy. It's really wonderful about uh, teaching little kids like five and unders how to, you know, what to do if somebody touches them in a way that's not okay or safe. So again, I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's like, really, Amy? Um, I tried to get them to, uh, I asked them to like, can you upgrade your cover? And they did. And this is the upgrade. So, um, but this book is fabulous. Kids love it. And then another book is called I Can Play It Safe, which is about a little broader about being how to be safe out and about in the world. So I highly recommend getting either or both of those books to read with your kids um, so that they can understand like if something happens and they're out and they get separated from you in the grocery store, you know, who's it safe to talk to? Uh, If Uncle Creepy, you know, touches their, their hoo-ha, then, you know, they can talk to you and they can say no. And so they have some skills around this. Um, Be warned that if you're looking for sexual abuse prevention books for children. Most of them are creepy and scary. And, you know, I was not sexually abused as a child, but I've heard everything. And these books, some of these books just freak me out. I'm like, okay, I'm traumatized from a kid's book. So the ones that I recommend are not traumatizing in that way. Awesome. Um, I think that's, that's huge. My followers for the most part know this, but I was raped as a kid. And so this is like a topic that we talk about kind of pretty freely and openly both on Instagram and here on the podcast, it's brought up a bunch, but I love that what you just said, essentially about stranger danger, that we need to be able to ask strangers for help. Yeah. And I thank you for those book recommendations. We will absolutely link to them in the show notes and in the blog post. yeah. And, you know, and for folks like you who did experience something with some a trauma around this in childhood, it is just vitally important. If you won't do it for yourself then do it for your kids to get some therapy and some help to make sure that you can um, 
have these conversations, not just the safety conversations, but really the sexuality conversations. And sometimes for some folks, they just cannot, and that's okay. Um, but find a trustworthy adult that can handle this for your children because they need safe adults and trustworthy adults to talk about this stuff with so that they uh, make good decisions, you know, when they're in their, what, late 20s when they start having sex? Doesn't seem right. Yeah, full that's when it starts. <laughs> yeah, full brain development. Like, I'm all about full brain development. Um, yeah, I know I'm never going to get my way. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> a woman can dream. <laughs> Truth. Yeah, no, I think that that's huge. I, um, I created an emotion processing method uh, that we're currently writing a book on and just finished oh, up great. research on. Yeah. And it's the, the whole idea is, is giving kids tools to communicate their emotions and also coping strategies to process whatever comes their way. Because I, I personally, from my journey, I think I've learned that you can't prevent it, right? Like my parents would have had right. to lock me in a room by myself for me to have not been raped. Like they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And it still can happen. Right. right. So not to scare right. folks out there, but I think what I would rather set kids up for and kind of prepare them for is a foundation where they can come and talk to you, where they know their body parts, where they know what's right or wrong, what feels right. good, what doesn't, uh, all that jazz and the ability to process it all. Yeah. And I would just add one more thing and then we can talk about more fun stuff. Yeah. Um, is that make sure your kids know who their safe adults are because oftentimes they'll confide in not their parents before mm -hmm. they confide in us because we tend to freak out about random shit and they don't want us. They want us to stay calm, believe it or not. I know you're parenting little kids, most of you. So it seems like all they want to do is make <laughs> us crazy. Um, but really they want us calm. So they might test their water, test the waters with with their aunt or um, their babysitter or, you know, someone at their teacher at preschool. So um, make sure they know, like, you can also talk to, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. So like for Milo, we're like, you can talk to my, your aunt, Sean, my brother, our friend, Bob, you know, we, Bob and I have reciprocal arrangement with our kids. His kids know that I am their self adult, safe adult and vice versa. And, um, because they need a place to go where they can say this yucky thing happened to me and then see what that adult does and mm -hmm. then help that, that adult's job is to help them talk to you. Well, and they never want to do anything that makes you sad or mad or whatever, right? right. Like even from my own personal journey, that was, I was like, I can handle this on my own. My, I don't want to make my parents sad, right? Like I knew right. this would make, and that's huge. And we do that from such a young age. This is actually a part of the emotion processing method is to try and like weed a little bit of that out of the like, it makes me happy when you, or it makes me sad when you, or it makes yeah. me mad when you, because yeah. we want, we don't want them responsible for our feelings. Right, 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 right. And I would actually just, sorry to have a... No, I love it. I would say instead of it makes me, I would say I feel sad or I feel because when we're saying, when you say it may, and this might be too late in your book, but when you say... No, it no, no. I'm saying that, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there because I want to correct it before it goes yep. down the thing. We are trying to weed out people saying things it like... It makes me. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. got it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So instead, we, that. Yeah, we, we're trying to... Get, parents to not step in or teachers or whatever and say things like, it makes me sad when you hit me, right? right. Try and weed right. out that stuff and, and redirect and talk about the actual behavior, the emotion or whatever. And for them to know that we still have feelings, right? Like yes. I can feel sad because so-and-so passed away, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that is something I can feel sad about. I don't want kids to feel 
like they're responsible for my right. feelings. Right. 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 Love that. I yeah. love that. I can't wait to see it. You'll have to share it to me. Share it with yeah. me when you're ready to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Okay. So let's back dive back into sex. Back to sex. <laughs> one of the things that, one of the questions that I got was about when the topic of sex turns from baby making to pleasure. Yeah. Um, and when you have that conversation, uh, the question came from a parent of a 10 year old and she said, I want to have this conversation before he gets quote unquote school bus lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, okay. So when you start the conversations, we always need to link sex and pleasure. And so the easiest way to do that is to say, you know, this is the usual way a baby is made and it feels really good to their grown up, to grown up bodies. So most of the time people have sex just because it feels good to their grown up bodies and it's a way they can connect. It's really not, it's not for kids. It's for later in life. Um, I don't ever say married because I don't believe that. So it's for later in life, which is true, right? And so for a 10-year-old, uh, that ship has already sailed, frankly, sorry, mama, that your kid already knows there's some relationship between this sex thing and pleasure. So the book that I would highly recommend for a 10-year-old is called It's So Amazing. Uh, Roby Harris and Michael Amberley do a fabulous job of explaining the relationship between sex and pleasure. And, you know, we need to, like in the U.S. in particular, there's just all this mystery around sex. It's okay, yeah, you make a baby, but then why the hell are people doing it? Well, it's because it feels good. Like 99.999% of the time, we're having sex because it feels good and we're actively trying not to make babies. And of course, if we're having same-sex sex, well, you know, bonus. <laughs> yeah. No baby make it. Um, so introducing the idea of sex and pleasure right out, the, out of the gate is really important because, you know, as, you know, I love using baby making as the gateway because it introduces all the terms and the ideas and blah, 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 and all the parts and all that. And then, you know, you also talk a little bit about how it feels really good, but your, you know, kids' hearts, minds, and bodies are not ready for sex. When do you add in that feels good piece? Right away. It feels good to their grown. When people make babies, it feels really good to their grown up bodies. Uh-huh. Right? So with your four-year-old, that's enough. Mm-hmm. With your 10-year-old, it's like, it feels really good. And it feels so good that actually people have sex because it feels good. It's, you know, when they're in a really, like my values are when they're in a, you know, especially the first time when you're loving committed relationship. And this is, an, this is a part of people's, you know, romantic relationships. They have sex and do sexual things. And there's all kinds of sexual things you can do. And then that's probably enough with a 10-year-old to get, like, you got to kick the door open because mm-hmm. then there are all these questions, right? Like about what kinds of things. <laughs> and right. then, you know, then you're launching into oral sex and anal sex and all kinds of other, you know, making out and all that other stuff. So um, books are your total friend. Books are the way to go. Like, like if you're feeling confident and you can kind of have a little conversation with your kiddo about this, uh, the thing about books is that they're going to be accurate. Um, the books I recommend are all the Roby Harrison, Michael Amberley books. There's tons of other books out there. Um, but I, I love their books because they're fun. They're funny. They're sex positive, which means they present sex and sexuality as a positive, healthy, normal part of life. Um, they allow space for you to insert your values, uh, which is super duper important to the conversation. Um, in fact, my personal belief is that the most important thing you can do for your kids is to clarify your values about sexuality, love, and relationships. And that if you don't do that, 
it makes it a lot harder to have the conversations because values give you roots. Like they make you feel confident when you're clear, like what, like when is it okay to have sex or, you know, what do you believe about condoms and, you know, where, where do you stand on tampons? I mean, we have values about everything. Um, so I wrote a book called birds and bees and your kids. And I, it, that intention of that book is to help parents clarify their values, learn a bit about talking to kids about sex, but really it's around that values clarification piece. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I love it. We will. I'll get a list of all these books from you and we will make a a part of the blog post with direct links so people can access those. Yeah. Are there any books that you've come across for like toddlers, even on just like their parts and what we're working with? Yeah. So there are some, but here's my thing. Like there are a bunch of books out there that talk about parts and how babies are made, but they don't say penis goes in vagina. And I just hate that shit. So I don't recommend them. Yeah. There's some good ones that just talk about the body parts. So go ahead and poke around on the, you know, wherever you buy your books, you can find them. Um, But I think it's just being chicken to not just include that. Because even though it might go straight over your three-year-old's head, they, you've, they under, they get that information. And then when they really can understand it when they're five or so, it's not new news really. I mean, it might be new news, but it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember this. So I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I just don't recommend them. I don't believe in them. They're they're not aligned with my values. So I, that. I also though understand the point of like, yeah, babies aren't just made with a penis and a vagina. You know, yeah. like, do we then include everything in the toddler book? Like, what? <laughs> so it's too complicated for toddlers, right? <laughs> I mean, you can say like, there's two mommies, right? Like, okay, so how, did you adopt? Did somebody get? Did you get have a sperm donor? Did you know? Right. 
you know, did your really good friend give the sperm to make you like, that's fine for them to know. And the sooner kids know the better, like they see the thing we forget. Again, I said this at the top of our time together. It's like, we're the one with the problem. Right. Our kids don't have a problem. They're like, oh, okay. So our really good friend, Timothy actually is the sperm that made me. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. That's great. And that's why he's an important part of our life. Or we went to this thing called the sperm bank where we could find someone that we thought sounded like an awesome person that would make an awesome kid. And guess what? Here you are, right? <laughs> like there's so many ways to talk about this. Like the kids don't give a crap. They right. really, really don't. And when you start sooner rather than later, they just see this as a normal part of their family life. Yeah, they don't like it when they hit eight, nine, 10, but so what? You know, I mean, we're parenting, you know, life is uncomfortable and the best place for your kids to be uncomfortable is with you. Like just because your nine-year-old doesn't want to hear about periods doesn't mean they don't need to know about periods, both boys and girls, right? right? Well, like, managing our emotions models that for them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's why, again, practice, practice, yeah. practice, practice. <laughs> All right. I have two more questions for okay. you. Let's do it. So... One that I got that I, I can't wait to hear your answer for, actually, if we talk about it early, will they be more likely to do it earlier? That is a wonderful question. And the answer is this. They're going to do it regardless of whether or not you talk about it. Average age of first sex, which is actually called sexual debut, which I think is hilarious, <laughs> um, is uh, 17 in the US and that's kind of worldwide and that's penis and vagina sex. They're doing better with oral and anal sex and other kinds of sex. So average age is 17, median age, which is if you lined everybody up and plucked a kid out of the middle is about 14. Whoa. So they're going to do it and you have a choice. Your child can do it and be super well informed and know about birth control and have lots of conversations with you about communicating with their partner and pressure and all that good stuff and condoms. And, and understand, you know, as much as they possibly can about it, or you can not talk to them and they're going to do it anyway. And so you get to pick. All right. You well, get to pick. I love it. I lied when I said two questions. I had three. So I have two okay. more. <laughs> How do I teach my tiny human to respect others' bodies? My kid loves to hug and kiss everybody. Yes. So this is where we start having conversations about consent. So assuming they're three plus, two-year-olds are never going to get it. So assuming they're three plus, you just say, hey, did you know, like, hey, you're old enough now to know, I say this all the time, um, that it's really important for you to ask first before you kiss, hug, or touch someone. So let's practice. Let's practice. And then you role play with them. And they say, mama, can I give you a hug? And you say, no, thanks. And then they practice not hugging. And then you say, mama, can I, uh, can I, um, whatever, sit in your lap? And then you say, sure, thanks for asking. And then you let them sit in your lap. And then you go the other way and you say, you know, tiny human, can I give you a hug? And their job is to say no. And then you respect the no. And the other thing about this is, so you do that role play practice and then they're going to screw up and forget. And then you they're just going to go in for the hug and you can say, oh, hang on. What's, do you remember the new rule? And they'll be like, oh yeah, ask first. Right. And then they'll say, you know, Timothy, can I give you a hug? And then they practice. But the most important thing you can do for your child is to model consent by asking first. So you don't have to do it 
all the time because it's too exhausting and you have, you know, family language where you know it's okay. But if you get in the habit of saying, hey, can I give you a hug? Hey, how about a high five? Hey, how's it going? Can you give me a, you know, you want to give me a kiss? Um, So you ask. And then if they say no, then you respect their no. The people who have the most trouble with this ask first thing is grandparents. They hate it. They think they should be able to just molester love on your child like nobody's business. So telling them, we're teaching our kiddo, don't say consent because it's going to flip them out. We're teaching our kids that they are are the boss of their bodies. So uh, that's why I love that little red book, by the way. They're the boss of their bodies. So um, we just ask first before you give a hug, a kiss or whatever. And then if they say no, you need to respect their no. They will come around and they always come around. They always, almost always come around. You know, if every adult was modeling that, then kids get the message. And if families are talking about this with kids, you know, and also telling your kids, you know, you have the right to say no to any kind of touch ever, even if it's something fun, like a back rub or a hug, like you can say no, if you don't feel right, if you don't feel like it, then just say no. And a safe adult, a safe person respects you and, and set, and, you know, doesn't do that. And, you can just say to them, you know, you can tell me if somebody says, you know, you say no and somebody made you do something like that anyway, you won't be in trouble. It's really important to say you won't be in trouble. Consent can start really, really early. Um, but like I said, don't use the C word with your parents because they will be like, what? Consent? She's four. It's a sexual <laughs> thing. It's like, no, actually, it's a human thing. <laughs> I love that. I think it is really hard from the adult perspective sometimes. Like there have been times where I just want to like scoop up a kid and just eat them because they're delicious. And I will be, I will ask, like, can I give you a hug? And when they say no, it's, it, it can, this sounds so silly, but it can be hard to respect that and be like, I know, and, and to not put pressure on them. Like, okay, maybe later, like to just say, okay, and no sweat. what it is. It's no hard. sweat. <laughs> I know. And no, it's really hard, especially since we know you're like, well, you, we know you're safe, right? Like, you know, you're safe. Right. You know, you know, the kid. Sometimes I do, I might all, all offer an alternative. So oftentimes parents will say, oh, this is Amy, give her a hug. And I'm like, dude, no way, man. I always get down on the kid's level and I say, hey, how about a handshake instead? Because these kids do not know me from Adam and their parents are all high on sex talking. And um, so like I always say, how about a handshake instead? Or nice to meet you. And and I, I, I like, I'm not touching you. Like you don't know me. <laughs> Like, and, and usually, you know, it, of course I'm safe, but I also want to role model that. Right. And yeah. when I work with groups of, I work with, uh, early childhood folks and teach them about sexual behavior in children. And this is one of the things we talk about is modeling consent. All it is, is ask first, straight up, straight up. Yeah. Ask first. But, and then I think the hard part for me is then like, don't shame them when they say no, right? right. Like, so just say no sweat, maybe later. Like, figure out what you're going to say, right? right. Pre, like, you're preloaded. It's like, oh, no sweat, maybe later. Right, and not like you're bummed out because they won't give you a hug because it's how I feel in my body. Right, right. So that's your job to manage your own damn self. Bless your heart. <laughs> Bless your- no, I'm doing it, but it's hard. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Especially when they're so freaking darling. So cute. And know them, right? Like, oh, right. Please, I please yeah. let me have a little of that. So, yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay. So my last question, which I think is is a I think a big one. Okay. What is the role of technology now in sexuality and sex? Ugh. So, 
generally speaking, the role of technology now in sexuality and sex is entirely pretty much negative when it comes to kids. So a couple things. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> kids Google, I had a client, I do one-on-one consultations and I had a, a couple come into my office and they're like, I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, okay, our eight-year-old Googled horses and then ended up seeing porn. Oh my God. Yeah. So if you want to do a little scientific experiment, Google horses, go to images and see if you can figure out how she ended up seeing porn and put your eight-year-old hat on, right? So um, it involved horse penises. That's all I have to say. And they were really concerned about what she'd been exposed to. They had parental controls on. They had monitoring software on. That's how they found out about this. And I think she told them to. And they still got around. She still managed to accidentally get around the um, parental controls and stuff. So she, her curi- our kid's curiosity takes them down a rabbit hole. Like if you don't have a penis and you, and you know the boys have penises and you're in a family where there's, there are no penises, you might Google penis, right? Yeah. And yeah. so um, your responsibility, and if I am sounding like shamey and pissy, that's because I am, because I'm really tired of this. Your responsibility to your kids is to make sure that every device they can access the interwebs on has parental controls installed and has monitoring software installed as well, like Custodio. Um, There's a new thing called Disney Circle, which is apparently really great. You can use it in your house. Um, You need to know where your kids are going online. You need to know what they're looking at. You need to know what apps they're downloading. You need to know all of that stuff because the chance of them being exposed to pornography is incredibly high. They will see porn. They will see it probably before they get to middle school. And if, and I know you're thinking, oh, my kid would never. And everybody thinks that. And the exposure is happening. Um, it might, so bottom line is you don't want to be the house where the exposure happens. Right. You don't want to be the, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to get the phone call from the parent that says, hey, my, your kid showed my kid porn at your house. Like what the hell's going on? Right. So if you want to avoid the shame and humiliation of you being the, being the porn house, you know, just do this. And there's affordable stuff. There's free stuff. I don't know how to like, I, I'm not like a techie person, but I am the person that gets the phone calls from the people whose kids have been seeing porn, looking at porn and it's happening at younger and younger and younger ages. And it's, you know, our kids no, yeah. So do I mean one more little rant? No one needs a smartphone. Children do not need smartphones until they're in high school. We made Milo. Um, he couldn't have a smartphone until he was a freshman and then he had to pay for half of it. Uh, he was very respectful of it. He's been really great with it aside from, you know, breaking the screen and crap like that. And he did not like having the equivalent of a flip flop flip phone in middle school. But I was like, dude, like this is the, you want, you want to communicate with your palsy wowsies, then this is the way you do it. And not everybody agrees with me. There are others, my, my pal, Joe Langford, his kids have smartphones, but he is on it and he is on them and he pays attention to what they're doing and where they're going. And they have lots of conversations. I just don't have the bandwidth. It was just easier for me to have him have a dumb phone. They need to be able to... Well, sorry, I have a quick question there, but say like, so we know kids are going to be exposed to porn then knowing that they were exposed to porn, then what do you, like, okay, now you know that your child saw porn, and now what? 
Well, I mean, it depends on what they saw, how long they were looking, what the circumstances were. Um, some kids, uh, they don't have any, they're like, okay, that was gross and weird and I'm all cool. Some kids are traumatized by it. It's really individual. Um, you know, if your children, if you have not done all the things I just yelled at you about and your kid sees porn on one of your devices in some way, it's your fault. So you need to apologize to them and say, we made a mistake. We made, we should have done this. We didn't, this is our bad. So here's what's happening now. Kid might need a little tune up with a therapist. Um, and that therapist should be someone that specializes in sexual abuse or sexual, um, it shall, sexual issues with kit and kiddos, uh, not a generic therapist because they aren't prepared for this because it is about sexuality and it can be, it can be a sexual trauma. But again, you know, like this girl who saw the porn from the horses, mm-hmm. it sounds terrible, but <laughs> um, she's not traumatized. She's actually okay. And, you know, but I did give them a referral and said, you know, just keep an eye on her, you know, keep an eye out for, you know, just sort of general signs of trauma, sleeping issues, friendship issues, not eating, like the usual kinds of things that kids will do if they're traumatized. And at that point, you might want to have her see somebody first for a few sessions just to make sure she's okay. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure she's okay. So, but the so easy- then at that point, are they saying like, hey, I know that you saw this horse porn. <laughs> Here's like, what's the follow-up conversation you have with your kid? So you say, it's totally normal to be curious. What did you think when you saw that? Um, How are you feeling now? You know, just so you know, it's not okay or safe for kids to look at this. That sexual stuff is for later in life for when you're older. So we screwed up. Um, We have new rules. Here are the new rules. Here's the new way of being. And then you beef it up. If the porn exposure did not happen at your house, if it was a kid on the school bus that shows showed the porn on the smartphone, which happens on a regular basis, my best friend, her daughters, they're, two, they're four years apart in age, daughter one, first week of middle school, kid showed her porn on the school bus. Daughter two, four years later, kid showed her porn on the school bus, first week of school. So school bus is a hot place for porn. Right. So if you know who the kid is, if you know um, who the family is and you need to tell the family, because if you think about it, like, would you, wouldn't you want to know if your kid was showing other kids porn? I mean, no, but yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, it is interesting. It's always this. uh, I agree that I often hear that it won't be my kid. I actually had a parent reach out with the opposite this spring who was like, I, always wanted to have girls. Um, she's a sexual assault survivor. And she was like, I always wanted to have girls because I didn't know how to raise a boy because I know that no one has ever raised a boy saying, oh, he's going to be a rapist. Like, right. I, it, right. You know, so many oh. girls are getting raped, right? And so she was like, I, I hate this pressure of, oh my God, I have to raise a boy and know that like, I, there's so much on the line here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure, but healthy sex education, lots of communication about this topic helps everybody do better. Everybody do better. And I think the mindset that like, yeah, it could be your kid. Yes, it could be your kid. Maybe your kid, maybe your kid. So how are you going to act? How are you going to help your child set up to be set your child up to be successful? If it's maybe your kid, maybe your kid. So, you know, this is not a fun note to end on, but I'm going to give one more resource and then we'll do something. Then we'll just end on something fun. Yeah. Um, 
So there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. There's Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Straight Up. So these are books to help you help your, to reach your kids about what to do if they see porn on the interwebs. They, uh, the people who wrote them, they believe in porn addiction. I personally and professionally do not believe in porn addiction. So that's kind of their lens, but there's really good information about what to do. And they talk about that. Um, you need to do your own research around the porn addiction thing. I know it's a hot button issue for people. Um, but I don't, so I just want to be clear about that. So I don't fully agree with their philosophy, but their books are really good. And it's the only thing we've got going right now that for kids that's helpful and, and, and appropriate and pretty smart in a lot of ways, except for that one little thing that I don't agree with. But so that's definitely something to get for your kids and to talk about. And so don't ambush your kids with all this stuff at once. Right. <laughs> You're like, I have to play catch up. Let me do yeah. all the things. Yeah. So with your littles, the place I would actually start is with It's My Body and I Can Play It Safe. Um, if your kids have already started asking questions about how babies are made, about their body parts, then I would get the book It's Not the Stork and start there. And then in a week or two, throw in It's My, it, you know, I Can Play It Safe and it's, or It's My Body um, and just start the conversations. And so one of the places I want to, like I said, I don't want to leave in like leave y'all in gloom and doom. So one thing I think is really important to do is a couple things. So first of all, uh, take a little time. I mean, if you're in the car and you have 15 minutes or 10 minutes to like before you got to pick your kid up or whatever, you know, school's starting in some places, just think about um, what are your hopes for your kids as a result of having these conversations? Like, what do you hope for them in terms of their relationships and their dating life and, and um, their, their, frankly, their sex lives like what do you hope for them as they learn about this as they grow up as they become adults I think that when you think about that and if you're parenting with someone talk about that and if you're not parenting with someone and you have a mama or daddy bestie talk about that with them because when we I think when we really focus on our hopes that gives us the kind of the juice we need to kind of get over ourselves and get on with these conversations in my experience no one has died from having a sex talk and as far as I know, there has, no one has thrown up. So like, really, it's actually pretty fun. They can be highly entertaining. Kids are really funny. Um, and, and if you think about sex and sexuality, and I know for me, like I want my son to have a really joyful, wonderful, fun experience as he learns about sex and as he becomes a sexual person and as he starts his first relationships. I want him to see sex as a positive, healthy part of life. And I want him to be smart about it, you know, just as smart as he is about his driving. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I actually, I love the podcast armchair expert. It gets a lot of shout outs on my podcast. Dak Shepard hosts it with Monica Padman. And he said recently on one of the episodes that he has two daughters and he was like, he, they were talking about something about like raising little girls. And he was like, listen, like, I want them to grow up and have a great sex life and be happy with their partner and to know that they don't ever have to do anything they don't want to do and whatever. And like described like a happy, healthy sex life or what I would consider a happy, healthy sex yeah. life, what I would want for myself, right? The same thing I would, I would, but I think it's hard to put into context. Like, Oh, I want that for my kid. I think for a lot of people that's yes. it's hard to put into context, but I love that you kind of brought it back to that. Like, that's our goal. And they're not going to be a kid forever. They're going to be another adult. Yeah. And who are we raising? 
Yeah. I mean, my whole mission, my whole thing is like, I work with adults. I do not work with children, just my one poor beleaguered 17 year old. And my whole mission is to help every child grow up to be a whole, healthy, happy adult. And Same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my deal. That's my deal. So, I mean, I love all y'all, all you adults. I love helping you. And I want you, I want that for your kids. Like, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. I agree, but it does take intention. So yes. thank you. Thanks for coming on and spreading your knowledge. You're hilarious. And I love chatting with you. Thank you. Uh, Super fun. Thanks for the great questions. All you smarty pants parents and keep asking them. <laughs> yeah, this is rad. Where can people connect with you, Amy? So you can connect with me um, on Facebook. It's Birds, Bees, Kids. Uh, I post lots of stuff there. I have a very fat-ass blog at birdsandbeesandkids.com. There's tons and tons of information there. Uh, If you need specific help, I do one-on-one consultations. So you can just shoot me an email through my website. And I do also have an online course for parents that you can check out that just helps you dig more deeply into these particular issues and, and will really give you a solid foundation foundation for this conversation. Sometimes for some folks, especially folks who've been sexually abused or suffered some kinds of trauma, um, who are just, or who are just so anxious about it, like doing a little deeper dive will help you to feel a little more confident. Um, and there's tons of resources there. I do webinars and all kinds of things. So, and I have a newsletter. So if you go to my website, you'll get that. You can sign up for that. Amazing. All the resources. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking your time to produce those resources for us. Oh, my total pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross-type paint-on-paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.